find yourself thinking that you're not good enough or that you're not lovable? Many people hide a dark side that they feel that if others knew their secrets, it would be detrimental to their relationships. It doesn't need to be that way at all. This is where words can't reach. Shedding light on our dark side with your host, Dr. Madeline DeLittle can help. It's time for a frank and open discussion about the things that are bothering us and say what needs to be said. Dr. DeLittle and her guest experts are here to help you understand and provide advice. Now, here is Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Hello and welcome to Voice America on the Empowerment Channel. My name is Dr. Madeline DeLittle and you're listening to Where Words Can't Reach, Shedding Light on Our Dark Side. So today's topic is about reclaiming your body um, through trauma, yoga, and the Satya model of therapy. And my guest today is an expert on this topic, and her name is Danielle Braun Kaufman. Welcome, Danielle, to the show. Hi. Hi. Hi Hello. I just want to tell the audience a little bit about you before we begin, Danielle. And um, you're, you've been a marriage and family therapist and clinical supervisor for, for over a decade. And you specialize in shame and anxiety and depression and trauma. Uh, prenatal, postpartum, stress, grief, and trauma. That's a lot of, of, of areas <laughs> that you cover. And um, you work experientially, which I wonder, want you to talk to us about what that means later. But um, you, you work experientially with your clients um, through uh, bo- bodily-based uh, practices. And you've got your own holistic clinic, I gather, here mm-hmm. in... Um, in British Columbia, that uh, and others have joined you, and you do trauma-informed um, practice, uh, trauma-informed practice through yoga and mindfulness. You are an incredibly busy woman, but uh, <laughs> so yeah. So and um, maybe at some point we have we have two shows with you. We've got next week as well, but maybe at some point you can talk to us about your book and uh, and and your own story of. Uh, recovering from trauma um uh, maybe you could share that with the audience as well if that would be okay mm-hmm, lovely sure. so let's start with you and how you um how, how is how what's the connection between trauma and shame can you can mm-hmm. you can you help us with that one sure it's a big question actually mm-hmm. <laughs> um why don't we start with a, a working definition of trauma Okay. I don't I don't know how much that's been talked about on the show up until now, but I think that it's helpful if we kind of have a working definition of what that means when we're talking about trauma because it can it can be confusing mm-hmm. what that actually means. So the definition that I like to work with is quite broad because I think most of us have experienced some form of trauma in our lives. And basically trauma is any unpredictable or unexpected experience that threatens our physical, mental, emotional, or sexual safety. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's um, so much more than how we have typically thought of trauma as sort of these one-time events, right? Like rape, Right. Or, I don't know, genocide or these sorts of things. <clears throat> Those and horrendous, horrific 
experiences that are um, acute. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's important to define that because what I find again and again, what I found for myself, but also as a therapist, having the experience of working with many, many people that have experienced all different kinds of trauma is that we, we minimize the experiences that we've been through. Right. And we, and so it's, it's not really important if you want to define it as trauma or not, but that is the definition that I work with when Mm -hmm. I'm looking at how things are developed. So how is shame and trauma connected? Mm -hmm. Um, I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, it's interesting because I think that any experience of trauma, even sort of a one-time event, like a car accident, per se, um, will include an element of shame. But I also think that you can have shame without having experienced trauma. So I just want to say that, but I'm going to focus on, do do you know what I mean by that? No, no. Can you go back to that? That's interesting. So, uh, so tell me about shame in a car accident so we can get the baseline here. Sure. Yeah. I can develop. Sure. So, I mean, I've had clients who've experienced these car accidents that are super unpredictable and, you know, are not their fault at all, but they take on an element of, it was my fault. If I wasn't driving down that street, if I, you know, hadn't decided to go there that day. Uh, Right. And so even though it's this totally unpredictable thing it has nothing to do with them uh-huh. there there still is because the body is responding this is this is how I have experienced it and see it is you know when we experience trauma so much happens on that physiological level right uh-huh. in our bodies where our body is telling us something's wrong something's wrong something's wrong something's wrong and we need to somehow make sense ah uh, yes right? We're meaning making Mm -hmm. beings. Mm -hmm. So we need to somehow make sense of this. And so, you know, if, if the person that was in the car accident can't make sense of that and doesn't want to blame the person who hit them for whatever reason, because they, for whatever reason, I could go into all kinds of things about that. um, There's still something in the body that's saying like, something's wrong, something's bad, this wasn't okay, Mm. and we have to make meaning of what that Mm. experience is. Right, so they can rationalize it. Right, because we're always rationalizing and trying to make meaning. So it's kind of this spectrum, right, where we can look at these one-time events that Mm. can create a sense of shame. Um, My story is, is different than that, where... I grew up in a home where there was a chronic sense of something being very, very wrong. Um, The trauma that I experienced was on an emotional and physical level. Mainly, it was traumatic for me to experience the abuse that was happening to my mother. So it was actually the witnessing Mm. that was really traumatic. Mm. And as a child growing up in that environment, 
for one, it's very confusing, but also what the research is telling us now is that for children who are witnessing domestic violence is that it feels as if it's actually happening to them, even though they may not be the one who's physically being hit or beat or whatever it might be because they're witnessing happening this to one of the most important people in their world. Mm -hmm. And because of the attachment that they have, Mm -hmm. it feels in their body as if it's happening to them. And they don't feel safe. And they don't feel safe. And I didn't feel safe Mm -hmm. and was terrified. So even though it was, you know, I got spanked, but it was rare that my father hurt me the way that he hurt my mother the fact of the matter is being a meaning making being if he had the capability to hurt my mother that way when was the time he was going to hurt me that way so that's that unpredictable thing you never know when when it's going to happen no you never know and so when it's more chronic and happening even though you have these times of nothing's happening, like Mm -hmm. life is kind of okay, when it happens over and over again, right, history kind of proves itself. And it's you live in this constant fear and dread, Mm -hmm. and walking on eggshells. And so back to that experience of, you know, physiologically in your body, something's very wrong, right, right, something's very, very wrong. But as a child, no one's telling you what's really wrong. You're supposed to, you know, I'm supposed to think this is actually normal, (laughs) right? Yes. You don't know any different. (laughs) No, you don't know any different. And you can't name how abnormal it is because that would threaten the whole status quo of the, Mm. of Mm -hmm. the system, the way that the family functions, Mm -hmm. right? You have to kind of go along with this is this is normal. So Mm -hmm. this is probably happening in other homes. So if I feel so horrible on the inside, it's not because the thing that's happening is bad. And it's not because, you know, my mom or dad are bad, because I can't think that they're bad, because that would threaten my life, really. Mm -hmm. Right? On a biological level, I have to depend on them for food and shelter and everything to survive. And so as a child, you never kind of protest and stand up and say like, this is not okay. You know, you're wrong for doing Mm -hmm. this thing. Um, But yet something is very, very wrong. So you take on this unconscious sense that something is very, very wrong with you. That's a lot for a little one to take on. Yeah. And not even knowing that they are. Right. So they, so that, so how does that become shame? How do, what, what, where does the shame piece fit into that then? Right. So, I mean, the definition, definition, the, the way that I view shame is, you know, it's not I did something bad, it's I am bad. Ooh, Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So, it the something's very very wrong with me becomes I must be bad. There I must be defective. I must not matter. 
or have any worth in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very, you know, um, I was going to say very quick. That's not, it's not necessarily very quick, but it, it does happen on that unconscious level where to protect my relationship, because every child needs to protect their relationship with their caregiver. I take on that. I'm the horrible person. Wow. So this is going on in families where there is shouting, screaming, hitting, slamming doors. Yeah. Uh, Are we talking you know, occasionally, I mean, all of us have slammed a door every now and again. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. Right. Are you talking sort of, it's a, a continuum of that. It's not just, it uh, is. you know, it's, you know, it's just, it seems like it's constant or very, not, not regular, but, but quite often that this occurs in the family. Yeah. It's that chronic piece. The other piece that I would say that is, um, like a determining factor in how shame develops, how pervasive it is, how much it kind of dominates your life. And it certainly did dominate mine for a long time is who is actually with you before, during and after the Uh, event. Right. So I might slam a door. I'm a mom of three kids. I certainly get mad. I slam doors. I'm very human. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't matter how much I know, I'm very human. But the difference is if I slam a door and I see my child kind of like shudder, like, oh my goodness, that was really scary. Uh The difference is I can come alongside them afterwards and say, hey, you know, I saw Uh your body kind of tense. Like that looked like that was really scary for you. You know Uh what? That was about mommy. That wasn't about you. Uh You're not a bad kid. I was mad. My anger is mine. You know, so the more that the child actually is given the space to have the feeling that they're having and mm-hmm. be companioned in that feeling, mm. that doesn't happen in homes like mine, though, because right. ultimately the parents that are making these decisions also have a whole lot of shame and can't, yes. own, can't yeah. own what they're doing or how they're impacting their children right and so they don't have a capacity for many reasons to come alongside the kid that's going oh my gosh this is terrifying yeah to re- what we call is that the repair that we that I've heard people talk about yeah repairing yeah. it that, yeah. that was never done for you is that what you're saying no very 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 rarely and I remember a couple of times that it was done and it sticks out in my mind as so impactful there's Mm. there's twice that I remember my mother actually coming and very intentionally apologizing and saying that wasn't about you that was about me and those were by far the most impactful experiences Mm. I I had with her because she reflected back to me the way that I think about it with shame it's like it's it's what's reflected back to us about who we are in the world and and whether we matter or not so I mattered enough in those times for her to say that wasn't about you Mm. that was about me you're not a bad kid. And she sent me a different reflection right. than the one that I had been getting most of the time. Danielle, this is such an important piece for the listeners to take away is how to, because we all do make 
big mistakes we do we oh, yeah. you know in the moment in the heat of the moment but how to repair that so yeah. can you just for our listeners sake again sort of just step by step what to do when you when you do screw up when you do have a temper tantrum <laughs> yeah or, you know uh, how you can you know how can you help the listener to to really take this one away sure yeah um you're right, it is so, so important because we also, when you talk about rupture and repair, I I think that rupture and repair is actually two ways. It's rupture and repair with the child. It's also rupture and repair with self. Yes. Because when we make mistakes like that, if we can't repair and forgive ourselves, mm then we actually don't have a capacity to come alongside Uh our child. Uh So I think it starts there. So let's use the example of slamming the door, right? Right. (laughs) So if if I slam the door because I'm mad about, I don't even know, something that happened that has nothing to do with my children, or maybe it does have to do with my children, but I'm just being, having a very inaccurate response to what has happened. Yeah. Um, and I slam the door, you know, I think that here I did something bad. So let's use this language again. If I did something bad, I am bad, right? Like, so I did something bad. I slammed this door that I shouldn't have done. I wish I wouldn't have done. Mm-hmm. So at that moment, you know, I could start spinning a tape around how I am bad, I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad mom all the time. I'm maybe a bad human. And I can start spinning this shame tape. And if I start spinning this shame tape unconsciously, I'm going to get really irritable. I'm going to get um, maybe angry. I'm, I'm going to create distance between me and my kid. So it starts with me going, okay, yeah, that's crappy that I did that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm look at me being really human and making a mistake. (laughs) You know, I'm not a horrible human because I slammed the door. Like that sucks that I did that. And I'm going to forgive myself, but now I need to attend to my kid and I need to own that I did a bad thing. And that just because I did a bad thing, I'm not a bad human. Because that's also what I want my kid to learn. Yeah. I want them to Separate learn. Separate the two. Yeah. 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 Right? They can do mm-hmm. bad things and not be bad humans. And so then I, you know, then I attune to them. And I think that's the word that comes up for me again and again in terms of repair and in terms of like safeguarding against shame mm-hmm. is attuning to my child. And so they might be responding yeah in fear they might be crying they might be kicking me and you know angry and screaming Mm -hmm. they might be responding in all kinds of ways and at that moment it's for me to come alongside them however they're responding even if they're responding by kicking me and saying yeah that was really hard and that was really scary you know that and that was really hard for you to see mommy do that and for mommy to have that big feeling and to make that choice having that big feeling and that makes sense Mm -hmm. that that was really hard for you that makes sense and that's okay that it was really hard for you you know and I'm sorry that that scared you and you're allowed to feel how you feel about that and I love you 
Mm-hmm. And you're not bad. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, it's beautiful. You're separating out your actions from the child's to begin with. It's not, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. It's, and you're also separating out, you're taking responsibility for what you did. Yeah. And, that, and also separating out that what you did was a bad thing, not that you are a bad person. And and I can remember doing that with my children I'd say this is not a this is not that this is not about not loving you I love you mm-hmm. but you're, it's it's what well, the fact that you just cut up your new pair of jeans that just <laughs> <bought> you. <laughs> yeah that's uh, that's still with me <laughs> oh dear anyway so um, I, I want to ask you personally Danielle how what is the legacy for you of, of this this uh, vicarious domestic violence, if you, if you like, that you, you experienced as a child? What, what's, what was the impact for you growing up? Hmm. Can you be more specific, what you mean by that? Well, I just wonder what, what the legacy for you was as, as a little one, you know, watching this, this, the scenes act out between your parents and you experiencing yourself as somehow being responsible for, for having done it, even mm-hmm. though, you, you know, you weren't responsible as a child or as, at all. What the, what, what, how it impacted you growing up? How, you know, what, what are oh, they? Yeah. What are, the, what are the dregs of this that you yeah. perhaps, I don't know, you're still carrying around or that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that the dregs of it were chronic anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, when, you know, by the time I was 10, I, I was suicidal. Oh, wow. Um, so actually, when I was very young, like between 10 and 20, even, which is, I guess, not very young then, but it was it was depression. I just wanted to die. And I, I didn't, I didn't think that I mattered. Like it comes back to shame, right? Which is where the depression came in. I didn't think that I mattered. I didn't think that I was worth living. I didn't think my friends actually really liked me. I didn't think there was really anything enjoyable or redeemable about me I was very I was a very serious kid because my life was a a very serious life Mm. and so there wasn't a lot of playfulness Mm. or lightheartedness which was difficult socially Mm -hmm. um you know there was a desperateness in my friendships and relationships yeah. And, and, and then as I, as I grew up and got more into my twenties, it started to manifest more as rather than depression and shame, it manifested more as anxiety and shame, mm. which sometimes still had a face of depression, but often had anxiety because anxiety was more functional <laughs> than depression. Yeah. Yeah is really what it comes down to. How did you, we got just a little bit of minute or two before the break, but what kept you going? Yeah, that's such a good question. You know, I think that all of us at some level do know that we're worth something, mm. um, w- which I can say more after the break. <laughs> 
I feel like that's a really important piece, though. I I think that we all do know that mm-hmm. on one level. Um, and I think that the moments that I sang a lot as a kid when I was mm. by myself. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and I just remember being totally by myself outside on my swing set singing and I grew up in a religious home and so there was an element of faith that at that time when I was really little wasn't tainted by religion which also ended up contributing to my shame Um, but at that time was just this very like pure connection with something bigger than Mm. what my life was with some Mm. sense of hope wow that's wonderful and was it somebody in your life that was there for you that really did understand you and and got you as it were that they they were there for you um my mother was intermittently for Mm -hmm. sure when she could be but she was experiencing a lot of trauma which kept her you know quite emotionally distant um So I would say my mom, and then actually, and this is in the book that I'm writing, um, there's a chapter on my teacher in grade two. Uh, Yeah. Who saw me. Yeah. Really saw me. Saw you in a different way than you hadn't been seen before. Yeah. Saw, I think, saw a child and saw innocence and saw my pain as well. Mm. Mm. and companioned my pain to some extent, even just by letting me, like, hold her hand at recess time. (laughs) You know, or just asking me how I was doing, like, noticing my sad eyes and taking the time to ask and notice that. Mm. So that, she was extremely impactful, that's so it's so so important when we have that one person that that, that we can have a different relationship with than we've had with our parents. It's so so critical, so crucial. It just takes one person. Totally. Makes a difference. Totally. Daniel, we're going to go to break now, and we're going to be back, and I want to hear more about uh, your experiences of of uh, of, of tr- growing up in a, in a home where you felt. Um, unseen and so let's uh, let's get back sure. to uh, reclaiming your body and, and how you can um, can recover from this there's always hope so mm-hmm. let's go to that when we get back okay all right your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you want to know more about how to work with children and adults to transform shame, depression, loss, and anxiety, order Dr. DeLittle's book, Where Words Can't Reach, Neuroscience and the Satir Model in the Sand Tray. The book is available online from Dr. DeLittle's website, wherewordscannotreach.com. 
Dr. DeLittle also conducts workshops and can come to your workplace or organization. If you wish to have Dr. DeLittle come and do a two-day workshop on an introduction to neuroscience and satire in the Sandray, please contact her at mdelittle at gmail.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to where words can't reach, shedding light on our dark side. We'd love to hear from you with any stories, suggestions, or questions by sending an email to mthelittle at gmail.com. Here again is Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Welcome back to Where Words Can't Reach, Shedding Light on Our Dark Side. My guest today is Danielle Braun Kaufman, who's talking to us not only about uh, reclaiming your body, but her own experience of, of growing up and being traumatized as a child and the shame that that brought on her. Welcome back to the show, Danielle. Thank you, Danielle. So we, we, were, we were talking about uh, the impact on you uh, growing up, and you were talking about this one teacher in grade two that held yeah. your hand at recess. I've got this gorgeous picture of <laughs> you walking around the playground uh, with this with this wonderful teacher that just knew you needed mm-hmm. some comfort. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, again, I would come back to, wouldn't have had these words obviously as a child, but reflecting on it, looking back on it, the way that she treated me, reflected back to me that I mattered Mm. and I do think that regardless of what we experienced growing up how traumatic how you know deep the shame becomes embedded that there is a part of all of us as humans that want to survive want Mm. to matter want to you know because we have to have worth and matter in order to survive, right? And we all have this survival instinct in us. And so we need to access this part of us that knows that we matter in order mm-hmm. to grow and survive and, and th- mm-hmm. hopefully eventually thrive, which... Yes, not just survive, but thrive, yeah. Right, which is, which yeah. is the difference, right? Mm-hmm. So... But we do, we, we actually do have an instinct not just to survive, but to thrive. That's why I, I believe at our core, we're all creative beings, right? Mm-hmm. And cre- creating isn't about surviving. Creating is about thriving. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what this teacher did, well, she was a beautiful soul who I have tried to find as I've been writing this story <laughs> about her. But anyhow, um, you know, this beautiful soul that saw me, I think the, the most important piece, though, is not that, was that she actually reflected back to me something that was already in me, that she shed light on the truth that was in me, that the part of me that knew that I mattered. Mm. So it wasn't just that she knew that I mattered, but in her knowing that, I could connect and access the part of me that said, yeah, maybe I think I do matter. Mm. It was as if it was eclipsed by all the other stuff that had gone on. It was already, it was there. But somehow it was in the, literally in the dark. 
Exactly. Beautiful. Like literally mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the dark or, or dormant. I use language like that often, right? Like okay. it's, it kind of sort of goes dormant because maybe it's not, you know, me being connected to that part at home that I'm worth something might cause me to get angry or blame or protest what's going on. And that's not going to be helpful for me in that environment. Mm-hmm. But in my environment at school, I can access that part in a safe way. So both are there simultaneously, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm accessing the parts that I need in order to survive. But what's happening is as she's reflecting this back to me and then throughout my life, finding different people, whether it was boyfriends or boyfriends' mothers at times <laughs> or, um, <laughs> you know, various friends that had stable families or, um, or other teachers, you know, or mm-hmm. mentors, co- them continuing to, ref- again, reflect mm-hmm. back to me that part. And essentially that's what my book is about, is both how, that, how the reflection happens and the shame develops and then how those exceptions along the way, those people that reflect back to us and help us access that core part of us that wants to survive and thrive and own at our at our deepest level that we matter, that we're worth something mm. in the world. You know, because when we when we own that, which thankfully now I can, there was a time in my life where I would never would have imagined being here now. <laughs> You know, but being able to own that now, yeah, now I can, I can thrive, I can create, I can, you know, I can have freedom, I can dance, I can sing, I can, I can play, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I never as a child. Um, it's a very, very different experience now. It seems to me that, um, that, that, that some folks who carry this around with them will be drawn to people that continue to reflect that same image that they gained as a child. I am not worth it. I am not lovable. So they, they, that gets perpetuated and self-perpetuating yeah. uh, cycle. And, then, and yet you didn't. You sort of got off that hamster wheel and sort out somehow people that reflected something differently. And it's not, yeah. it doesn't sound like it was a choice when you're six years old. It somehow it just happened. Yeah, that sort of just happened, right? That was, a, I would say, like a grace that kind yeah. of just came into my life. Um, yeah, I, I, but, you know, I, I certainly did choose people that continued to perpetuate that the shame message as well. There were oh, both. Okay. There were mm-hmm. both. It wasn't like, oh, that teacher, and then I just soared and chose all the <laughs> who reflected my worth. No, that was not the case. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> um, both are there simultaneously. Mm. Right? And, um, yeah, and so it's really, really been quite a long journey and, and, and process of, but also the piece is understanding which we've already talked about is that shame in and of itself actually has a positive intention. Oh, can you speak about that? Yeah. So in my life, I'll speak about it personally, but I can give other examples too. In my life, the positive intention with shame is that it kept me from 
blaming my parents, from mm-hmm. being mad at them, from thinking my life was abnormal. It kept me in the status quo of what our family system was and in all those ways it helped me survive and it helped me stay connected mm-hmm. to my mom and dad because that was a com- that was a more comfortable story for them too was that something was wrong with me than that something was wrong with them they couldn't have tolerated that part mm-hmm. so in me taking on that meaning and that story even though it wasn't overt it wasn't something I talked about with them. But in me carrying the shame, I could I could stay connected to them. So that's been something that as I have moved into owning my worth, the truth is, is that while there has been some maintaining of connection, there's also been more rupture of relationship because... Because shame isn't carrying this function now of staying connected. So I have to find new ways of being connected. Oh, right. So the familiar, you've given up the familiar, but you're, you're, not, you're in limbo. You don't quite know how then to have a relationship. Is, yeah. Is that like, what you're saying? Yeah. yeah, right. So, you know, I love you. I want a relationship with you, but I'm not going to do it by sacrificing me anymore. Mm. By sacrificing mm-hmm. my worth anymore, because that's literally killing me. Yeah, they nearly did. Yeah, I nearly did. So, but part of the healing of shame, yeah, back to the positive intention is that I needed to, you know, for one, I didn't even know that I had shame. Then I recognized that this was the thing that was ruling my life, and I just wanted to cut it off, get rid of it. Like, let's just, right? Like, Let's just think differently. Not going to have this shame anymore, right? Like, I'm, I'm worth something. I'm worth something. I'm worth something. <laughs> Which didn't work at all. <laughs> Doesn't work at all. Um, but what did work was actually being compassionate, learning how to be compassionate with the shame even. Understanding mm-hmm. that it had served me really, really well in, mm-hmm. that, in that way. It had been destructive in this way of me being suicidal but it had served me really well in maintaining connection in my family system. And it had come from a place of actually me loving my parents. It was the best way that I knew how to survive and stay connected to them. Mm-hmm. And it often is. I see it again and again with my clients who have very different upbringings than me, but have, you know, had different insecure relationships with their parents that have created this sense of shame. And, for them to actually get in touch with, no, you know, it, it was what happened that was wrong, not that I am wrong, mm-hmm. is it, it's, a, it's a big deal. And you, and you need to start to understand that the shame has functioned in this positive way as well. Otherwise, Madeline, you have shame about your shame. <laughs> That's right. Oh, dear. Oh yeah, we won't we won't open that one. So it has a positive intention, but there's a cost too. There's like two sides to this, right? Exactly. So, so how do you, you know, move? I mean, we're going to have you back next week on the show, but I just want to get a taste of how you said this doesn't work when you talk yourself out of it. That doesn't work. No. So what? What? How do you help? 
how did you get out of it and how did you how do you help your clients to right. move beyond to trans to transform shame really not just yeah. lock it out totally um so one piece is like i mentioned is the is the compassion element um that's really complicated though to actually so there's lots of resistance around compassion to shame there's usually shame about the shame oh. um So one way that I work with this that I have found really effective and started because of my own journey of transforming shame in my life is working with the body. Because this sense of, again, just come back to my story because it's tangible, right? Because this sense of fear and dread and something's wrong and bad is actually happening in my body, on a physiological level. There's messages in my brain, but if we were to look at what's happening inside of my body, right? My heart is racing, my muscles are tensing, adrenaline's pumping through me. My body is sending me all these signals that something is wrong, something's not okay. I need to be on guard. And when we don't have that companioning in our childhood to move through it, kind of like we gave that example of companioning like with my own kids, right? I didn't have that. Then what also happens is that those physiological symptoms don't move through your body. They stay stuck. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the common sayings with trauma is that trauma lands in the body. And when it lands in the body and doesn't have that companioned experience of being able to be felt in the truth of what's happening, it becomes embedded in the cells of your body. Or, or stuck would be another word. Is that, would you say? Stuck. Yeah, stuck's a great stuck. word. Yeah. yeah, stuck's a... Totally. And it doesn't have language, what you're saying. It's just, it's like this big lump somewhere and it doesn't have totally. language, it doesn't have form. It's just an experience, of sensation. Totally. Whoa, and okay. so yeah. now as an adult, right, I'm in a completely different context. I'm not at home with like the abuse happening. I'm in this totally different context. But let's say anxiety comes up for me and anxiety feels familiar to what I felt growing up. And so my body responds in the way that it did growing up because that's my pattern, because that's how my body has tried to take care of me. So now I have this stuckness Mm -hmm. is, is there again. And I can't really consciously make sense of it because the situation now in my adult life actually maybe doesn't even make sense why I'm feeling that, right? And likely is connected to a sense of shame then like, oh, this is ridiculous that I'm feeling this in this context because I shouldn't be feeling that. Something's wrong with me. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I must be defective, Right. Just goes round and round, doesn't it? It does. It's this feedback loop. And so what I have found is that in kind of breaking that feedback loop is rather than going to this place of like, no, nothing's wrong with you. Nothing's wrong with you. You're totally fine now. You're safe. Da, da, da. All these messages is actually going to the physiological sensations in the body. Okay. And moving into awareness and noticing and non-judgment and curiosity. Mm. Is that something that the listeners could just do? Like, do you need yeah. to be trained to do that? Or No, I mean, it's, it's kind of key components of mindfulness and yoga 
um, in particular, trauma-informed yoga, which is very much about not trying to get into a particular pose or be something. We don't even use the word pose. We use the word shape <laughs> because mm. pose is loaded. Um, it's about that noticing and the curiosity and learning how to actually be with those sensations in a gentle way, Mm. in a curious way, rather than not be aware of them and or avoid them or try to cut them off or medicate them or... So there's this whole piece with shame that actually is connected to tolerating pain because shame is there because of pain. Right. And so we need to... Do you mean literally pain, literally pain or, or emotional pain? Well, both because every, mm. every emotion has a physiological sensation. Mm-hmm. Oh, Okay. Can you just just uh, explain a little bit more for the listener? Every sure. emotional pain has a, a body... A physiological, physiological sensation. sensation. Okay. Or a body so, sensation, yeah. So, I mean, it's different for everyone. I can give some common examples. You know, with sadness, usually there's a heaviness in the lungs. Yeah. With fear and anxiety, there's often a pit in the stomach. Stomach, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it can be different. I've noticed this is super weird and I've never had a client say this, but for me, when I get really scared, like when I've seen my kids like fall off the dock and not know how to swim, which sadly has happened, you know, I actually felt it in my legs and my ankles and there was almost yes. like a paralyzing sense that happened there. Right. Yes. Um, my kid's fine, just to reassure everybody. <laughs> but, you know, we have these scary experiences that bring us back. And so noticing, not in the moment, I mean, I had to jump in the water at that moment, but then afterwards in working through the trauma that had, that had been so that it didn't get stuck in my body, mm-hmm. you know, and continue to revisit me, I needed to sit down with my body and really listen to, okay, so my ankles got really, really scared there. Are they still tense? What's happening there? Mm-hmm. You know, to notice that, to kind of feel it. And then and then what I do is I stretch and, you know, move into it in yoga type ways. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I come back to with this, Madeline, is that, you know, we haven't talked a lot about a lot of theory or, um, you know, trauma gurus, but Peter Levine is one, um, you know, of the main trauma gurus around. And he has this this one sentence, this one phrase that I come back to again and again, which is for every one message that goes from our brain to our body, nine messages go from our body to our brain. Mm. So Mm -hmm. if we're having these body sensations that are signaling threat or trauma or unsafety or shame Mm -hmm. nine messages are going from our body to our brain so what I kind of came to as a therapist and obviously personally in my own healing was like oh my goodness I've been spinning my wheels with my brain trying to change (laughs) this when I have access to Nine more messages if I would go from my body. <laughs> that seems to have a lot more 
power and effectiveness. And so, so I started, that's when I started really researching this and really diving a lot deeper um, and having my own experiences in yoga where my body would literally shake, mm. you know, it would shake out the trauma really of my past and still does sometimes when there's familiar sensations. And at first it was kind of scary because it was an unfamiliar experience of my body. But as, as I've learned to trust that my body is wise and that it doesn't want to hang on to these things that were made to heal and Mm -hmm. thrive. Um, I've been able to add in more curiosity and more gentleness in that way. So that's, that's really why I have created, you know, my whole clinic the way it is surrounding Mm -hmm. mindfulness and yoga and all of our therapists are trained in trauma informed yoga as well, so that we have this way of helping people access their bodies that feels safe and contained and somewhat structured, but they can start to notice, be curious, and then with that start to tolerate the pain that's there. This is fascinating. I'm just sort of seeing it through the lens of parenting as well and how unintentionally shameful we are and how wouldn't it be wonderful if parenting courses taught us about how to uh, help the child to do exactly what you're describing so that they learn it really early on you know like tell me what's going on in your body right now you know something like that as a parent talking to their child what's your body telling you right we always go to the head and and want answers and why did you do that you know it it doesn't go anywhere but if they were to actually start to really listen because because I don't, I don't know how many of us do that. I don't know how many of us stop and be curious about what our legs are saying. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, I know. Oh, the middle of you know a shopping mall or something, and oh, <laughs> I just, it's not, it's you know, we're not tuned into that. It's like we're going to have to re relearn or learn somehow. But mm-hmm. I think it's a wonderful introduction that you've given us around mm-hmm. uh, helping the listener to just start to start to um yeah to start to begin to notice what's going on in their bodies and uh, i i certainly do it with the children i see in my clinic and i they don't know what's going on in their body but i can suggest to them perhaps it's you know perhaps your tummy is telling you or because it it is fairly common that the tummy tummy gives this huge as you say nine pieces of information going to the brain so it's pretty guaranteed that the tummy is going to be unsettled Mm. anyway i just think that would be a lovely a lovely show actually just on parenting parenting (laughs) parenting with the body in mind or something you know anyway yeah totally so we've only got a couple of minutes left danielle but um I just, I just, I'm interested in relationship and, and does this come up for you with your partner and your children? Sometimes does it, does this past experience come up sometimes and what do you do with it when it, you know, when you, when you get yeah. this, this sense of. Yeah, it totally does. It does less and less mm. as I've been doing my own work for a long, long time, really experientially again, right in the body. Um, but it does 
come up and and how it usually shows up the thing is is that and this is the same thing with clients like clients don't come into the room saying like I have all this shame help me work through my (laughs) shame (laughs) you know It, it like shame has these different ways that it manifests in our life and so for me how it comes up is you know I get extremely irritable or my my cue is that I'm having an what I call an inaccurate response. So I don't like saying that I'm I don't like the language of overreactive mm. because in my body it's not overreactive. It's accurate to what's happening in my body, but it's not accurate to the context. Right. 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 Of what's just gone on that my husband forgot to bring home milk and I want to rip his head right off. Right. Like whatever it might be, because I'm making meaning that I don't matter. Right. Right. Because somehow that's that actually hasn't happened. But that's the example (laughs) that comes up for me. There's stuff like that, though. Right. That's happened. That the context is like, babe, like I just. I worked a little bit late. I didn't have time to get the milk. And, yeah. and meanwhile, I'm like, you don't care about me. <laughs> right. But I'm not saying that. I'm just like, you're like, man, you're a jerk or you're irresponsible or why didn't you plan your day better? Yeah. That's how it's coming out. Yeah. And what's under that is m- me feeling like my worth is threatened. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's important, yeah, to start to notice the way that your shame may manifest, Mm -hmm. which isn't necessarily as I'm such, you know, I'm worth nothing in the world. That's not how it's going to show up first. Fabulous, Danielle. This has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And uh, we're going to have you back next week to continue this conversation about how, uh, you as a therapist and as a as a consumer, as it were, <laughs> of shame. So um, it's been uh, it's been wonderful. And thank you, listeners, for listening in today and for tuning in to, to listen to the show. So tune in next week to hear more from Danielle. And um, if you want to ask further questions of myself or Danielle, our email addresses are up on the on the website. But just in case you don't get it, mdalittle at gmail.com. And Danielle, yours is Danielle, double L, at reposetherapy.com. Yeah. And. So we look forward to hearing from you again next week and uh, to hear more about what you have to say about trauma and shame. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you. Thanks, Madeline. All right. Thank you for listening this week to Where Words Can't Reach, Shedding Light on Our Dark Side with Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Please join us for another edition of the program next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.